Where do you go when you need to hear the truth? For some of us, we go online to YouTube or Google and ask our questions. And then we start scrolling, hoping that we can find a link to something that makes sense to us. Maybe you go to a parent or a trusted friend. Probably all of us at one point or another have looked on social media, blog articles, or the media to try and find truth. But now, maybe more than ever, it's so hard to trust what you're reading or hearing is actually true. I mean, we know that there are so many voices trying to get us to believe what they want us to believe and all we really want is just to know what is true. So how do we discover what truth is so that we can live a life honoring to God? That is what we're talking about today and we're gonna get started right now. Since I have this mic, I'll sing for you. You guys wanna, you guys wanna hear me sing? You guys want to hear me sing? All right, we're going to sing real quick. Is everybody ready? Okay, if you grew up in church, you should know this. In fact, as we were, uh, as Carlos was reading scripture this morning, I saw LaRue, right down here, Miss LaRue, singing the song, okay? Are we ready? How many of you already know where we're going with this, all right? Whew, all right, here we go. We're just going to do the chorus, all right? Some of you guys are going to be blown away. Carlos probably has no idea. I want everyone to watch Carlos while we sing this, all right? Here it is. Ready? The rain came down and... Here we go. The rain came down. Come on, Carlos. The rain came down and the floods came. And the house on... Good firm. All right, let's do that. The next one. Go right next to the next course, right? The rain. Let's go a little quicker. We need to get through this. The rain came down and the winds came up. The rain came down. Got to get it ready. Very good. Give yourself a hand, all right? It's all in the mic. I'm a singer now. I didn't know. I was about to say something. I'm glad I didn't. Anyways, let's start over. God is good. And all the time. Glad that you chose to worship with us today. My name is John, and I am blessed to be the worship leader here at Hallmark. Uh, no, I'm blessed to be the pastor here at Hallmark. You are blessed that I'm not the worship leader. And uh, hey, you don't need to cheer for that. Do you guys know that I actually was the worship leader at Hallmark for like six months? How many of you knew that? How many of you tried hard to forget that? Okay, all right. It's good to have fun in church, isn't it? If we can't have fun in church, we shouldn't have fun anywhere because we sit in this building knowing that when we die, we're going to spend an eternity in the presence of Jesus. That to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. It doesn't get much better than that, does it? And as was already mentioned, we are starting a new series called Faithful. We're going to spend some time looking back at the faithfulness of God. Uh, on, as Carlos mentioned, on the 25th, we are celebrating our 75th anniversary as a church. And I want to say this. God has been faithful to Hallmark, hasn't he? And one of the reasons I think God has been faithful to Hallmark is because there are a lot of faithful people at Hallmark. You realize that? I, I, I just kind of uh, put some numbers in my computer today after Matt showed me how to do it, uh, not today, this week. And I was just wanting to see how long have some of our members been a part of Hallmark? I first came to Hallmark 25 years ago. I was 24 years old. 
Some of y'all can do the math, right? I'm like creeping up on 50. I'm not creeping up. I'm screaming up on 50. Bessie Henson, though, her membership date, 10-24-1956. Isn't that amazing? And uh, I got to greet, greet Miss Bessie Henson as she walked in the door this morning, faithful for 66 years. Isn't that amazing? God has been faithful. We have some members of this church that have been faithful. I also got to talk to Betty Johns this morning as she walked in. She said to me and Stefan as we were talking to her, Stefan, you're so beautiful. And she didn't say that to me. But she joined December 23, 1962. 61 years she's been a member of Hallmark. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. And, and I just look at the list. The Ron and Dot Hazelwood, 55 years. Pam Whitener, 54. Betty Ward, 53. Sammy Bartley, 52. Mary Crumpton there on the back, 51. The Steppics, 51. Harold Christian, 51 years he's been a member. Mike Lindsay, 50. Barbara McDougall, 49. I mean, the list goes on. Mary Singley, 48. Dwayne and Janice Hope, I just saw them back there. They've been here for 48 years. The Irwins, 48 years. Turners, 44 years. Tom Christian, 43 years. The Oakleys, 42 and 41 years. Isn't that amazing? I just did a search. How many have been members of Hallmark for more than 40 years? And so as we spend the next few weeks talking about the faithfulness of God, I think it's honoring for us to talk about the faithfulness of God's people. As Carlos said, God has been faithful to Hallmark, but don't we want to see, as a church, us continue to be faithful to God? And so that's what we're going to talk about the next few weeks. Hebrews 10.23, this is kind of like the launching point every uh, Sunday that I want to think about. Hebrews 10.23, and it says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. I love that word, that picture. Hold on strong without wavering. For he who promised is, say it with me, faithful. He is faithful. Has God been faithful to you? And because he's been faithful in the past, he'll be faithful in the future. It goes against his nature not to be faithful. And I love that song we just sang. He's never failed me. And, and did you just feel the, the presence of God when we were just saying, he won't? He won't? No matter what problems, struggle, circumstance you face, God is faithful. And, and so as we look back, we also want to look, look forward. And so the next few weeks, we want to just share with you the four core values of Hallmark. Another way to put this would be the, the four hallmarks of Hallmark. Now, these aren't new. I think these values have been core values of Hallmark for 75 years. We're just going to clearly articulate them for you the next few weeks. So let me give you the four. You might want to get your phone out and take a picture of it, but then we're going to spend the next few weeks going over each one of these. Number one, we want to be biblically driven. We want to be personally involved. We want to be radically generous. And we want to be outwardly focused. 
Now, for those of you, especially those that I read off, you've been here for 40 plus years. Wouldn't, wouldn't we all agree that, that Hallmark's already known for these four things? Do, would you agree with that? You can say yes. Yeah. Would we also agree that it's wise as a church to refocus ourselves on those core values? Can you say yes to that? Crowd participation is welcomed, okay? When I ask questions, I really don't want you just talking out, but listen to this statement. We're going to talk about this this morning. If Hallmark fails to be a biblically driven church, we have failed to be a church. Do you agree with that statement? If we fail to be biblically driven, then we have failed to be a church. We're just a gathering. We're a community event. I'm not interested in in another community event. This needs to be a church, and a church is biblically driven. There's going to be a statement on the screen. I want you to to read it as I read it. You you can read it, not out loud, because that'll get really confusing. But I I want you, as I read it, I want you to read along, and I want you to process. Do you agree with this? It says, do you agree with this statement? But really, there's multiple statements. Here it is. If the Bible is truly God's word, then we should cherish it. Do you agree with that, yes or no? We should study it, yes or no? Obey it, yes or no? Fully, completely, entirely trust it, yes or no? If the Bible is truly the word of God, then it is the final authority for all matters of faith, practice, and morality. If the Bible is the word of God, then to dismiss it is to dismiss God himself. Do you agree with that? And I think the weight of that statement... We could, we could interject a lot of different words in that last sentence. If the Bible is the word of God, then to dismiss it is to dismiss God himself. To take it lightly, then is to take God lightly. To put it on the shelf until next Sunday is to put God on the shelf until next Sunday. It got really quiet in here. But you all agreed with it, right? The truth is, what you do says more about you than what you say. Good? You guys understand? All right, I think my singing mic, I can, I can switch out to this one, all right? Can you guys hear me? Yeah. All right, very good. I, I mean, I really enjoyed singing. I know you guys really enjoyed it. Thank you, Stephanie Campbell, for getting all that working. My arm was getting really tired. That mic was heavy. We want to talk about truth today, as Mary mentioned. Okay, that mic thing just saved you. I was really going to dig in on that, but we're going to move on, all right? All right, last week, we talked about pancakes and waffles. Remember that? How many of you were here last week? Okay, if you weren't here last week, you missed out. It was an awesome service. Let me just say this. If you miss any week, you miss out. God always shows up. With or without you, he'd just prefer you to be here. All right. And I'm like on tons of soapboxes today. All right. Pancakes, waffles. So I needed this visual. Who likes pancakes more? All right. Scan the room, you know. All right. Who likes waffles more? Okay. We're, we're back to where we were last week. There are more people that like waffles than pancakes. So... I'm a waffles guy, okay? 
I'm, but I'm not eating any of these. That's, is that a, I'm not eating any of these. I'm, if I'm going to have pancakes and waffles, they're going to be homemade. I'm going to make that, right? I'm going to make the batter, and I'm going to cook it myself. And I'm very, very, very particular about things when I cook. Like, I'm OCD about it, okay? When we do waffles and pancakes at our house, I have to be the one to cook them. I cook everyone else's first after they're eating and, you know, full and ready. Then I'm going to cook mine because I want it as soon as it gets off the griddle, all right? Hey, that's just the reality, okay? I'm going to put peanut butter and syrup all over it, and I, it's a full meal deal with that thing, right? So because I like waffles better, the truth is then, waffles are better than pancakes, right? <laughs> that's the truth, right? The majority say waffles are better. Therefore, that's the truth. Right? You guys are not, like, cooperating at all. Okay. The reality is, this is a subjective truth, isn't it? Okay, so what, is, what does that mean? Subject, subjective truth is that there's personal opinion involved and there's motions involved, right? So we can't really say, for truth, one is better than the other, because that is subjective. We could say, I think... These are pancakes, right? Do you agree these are pancakes? I'm not tricking you. The box is still closed. I didn't switch them out. All right, I know you guys are thinking that. So, do you agree these are pancakes? Is it true that these are pancakes? And these are waffles. So, culturally, we have made all things subjective. There is objective truth. These are pancakes. These are waffles. But in culture, we have said all things are subjective. So these now are waffles, and these are pancakes. And I'm going to be offended if you call my pancakes pancakes, because these are waffles. Are you, are you tracking with me? So we're all in agreement here. There are some things that are subjective. There are some things that are objective. Objective statements are impartial, nonpartisan, and based on multiple sources and verified facts. So if we're going to search for the truth, we need to know that there's a difference between opinions and facts. Okay? I believe it's a fact that these are better than these. But that's just my opinion, isn't it? Now, because I'm standing here, I think my opinion has more weight than yours, but that's it. <laughs> Honestly, I think that no matter where I'm standing. Okay, just ask my wife. All right, so what makes something the truth? You, we're gonna go, we're, I'm going to give you these real quick, so probably this is a good time to get your phone out and take a picture, okay, of the screen. What makes something true or truth? Truth, number one, is objective. Truth is universal. Truth is absolute, okay? It's true, it's true, it's true, okay? Objective, it's universal, it's absolute. So we're going to walk through three truths this morning. Again, we're under this heading of, as a church, we, our, our core value is that we want to be biblically driven. So here's truth number one. Truth number one is that we need absolute truth. We need a standard. We need something that's objective to say this is right and this is wrong. 
all things cannot be subjective because if all things are subjective, then all things is okay to do. Are you, are you tracking with me now? Okay, and so we need absolute truth. Here's where we have an issue in culture. When you look at the statistics of what we as a culture think about truth or absolute truth, do you realize that three to one margin, 64% of adults said truth is always relative to the person and their situation. Both adults and teens would say the number one factor in deciding if something is true or not is feelings. That's pretty scary, isn't it? But don't you see that's in our culture today? 64%. Well, let's look at that in the next generation. Let's think about the teenagers today. 83% of youth de- say it depends on circumstances. Again, they would say the same thing as adults. The number one factor in deciding whether something is truth or not is based on my feelings. 83%. Here's a more alarming, I think, more alarming. 32% of adults who say they're born-again believers believe there are moral absolutes. Only 32%. 15% who are not born-again believers. Again, as we look the next generation, what about teenagers? 9% of born-again believing teenagers believe in moral absolutes. Only 4% of unbelieving teenagers. That's scary, isn't it? That there's no... What, what, what that basically says is the majority of our culture today says that there is no actual standard by which we should live for our faith and practice and morality. That's scary, isn't it? If all things are subjective, then... It's a scary place. Here's what I believe. 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's going to be on the screen. On the count of three, it's pretty small, but I can read it. Can you guys read it? It's my fault. I wanted all scriptures to be on one screen, all right? On the count of three, I want you to read the first two words up here with me. Ready? One, two, three. All scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is proper for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you believe that? You're not very convincing. Do you believe that? Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. What does Jesus claim to be truth? Your word. Jesus said to them, it seems like we quote this every Sunday, doesn't it? It's a powerful statement Jesus makes. John 14, 6. He said, I am the way, the, what is it? Truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I believe this is our standard of truth. This is the standard by which we measure what is morally right or wrong. How I come to God, how I approach God, everything to do with my life faith and morality do you agree that this is the truth yes what we what my generation accepted from my parents the next generation 
is not accepting. Just because mom and dad said it so, or just because the preacher said it so. That's not necessarily bad. So I want to just walk through real quickly. If we, if we claim the word of God to be evidence, if we claim it to be truth, if we claim it to be valid and have authority for how I should live my day-to-day life, it's not just necessarily blind faith. There's a lot of internal and external evidences of the scripture. I think one of the most powerful, although it is subjective a little bit, is I believe and I have seen the power of God to transform a life. Have you seen the power of God to transform a life? Has the power of God transformed your life? In, in 2011, I met this, this lady, Mary. Uh, I believe, if, if my memory is right, she's 74 years old now. In 2011, we went house to house in a remote village in the Shimba Hills, almost on the Tanzanian border. My father walked up to her house and shared the gospel with her. What does the Bible say? God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Is that just as true for me in Texas as it is for Mary in Kenya, Africa? Yeah, it's, it's an absolute truth. She gave her life to Christ that day. We got on the bus and drove back however long it was to the mango tree, which we told everybody, hey, in a couple hours we're going to have a church service. We were almost done with the church service, and guess who I see walking up the hill with the basket of mangoes on her head? Mary. And in 2019, when I went back and took my daughter, can't hardly see upside down, my son, my brother, his son, we went door-to-door visitation, and you know who our translator was? Mary. The Word of God changes lives, doesn't it? And I think it's probably one of the most, I don't have no idea if that's going to stay, the most powerful evidences of it. Do you realize that the Bible is made up of 66 books written over three different continents, three different languages, over a, a span of 1,500 years, 40 different authors, and yet we see a clear, defined, unified message all throughout the scriptures? Could that have happened just by men passing on some documents? No, it was by God's divine intervention. When I think of the life of Christ, you know, just the life of Christ, just where he was born, when he was born, how he was born, the lineage in which he was born into, how he lived, how he died, how he was buried, how he came back to life, that just the life of Christ, his life fulfilled 300 prophecies that were made 400 to 700 years before he was ever born. Pretty strong evidence for the validity of Scripture. I think of the historical accuracy of the Scriptures. Uh, There's going to be an image on the screen that comes up. So as we think about the validity and the authority of ancient documents... You see these listed here that most all historians would agree these were actual uh, literature that actually took place, that were actually written, 
and every standard by which they judge the validity and the authority of these ancient documents doesn't compare to the authority and the standard and the weight that God's Word has. It's pretty amazing. Take a picture and then and do some more research on it, okay? I think about how the scriptures have survived the, the test of time. You realize that our Bible is the most attacked piece of literature in all of human history? The Roman Empire tried to destroy it. The communists tried to destroy it. Modern-day atheists tried to destroy it. Re listen to the words of Jesus. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. I believe the scriptures to be accurate and true. Do you also believe the word of God to be accurate and true? Yes or no? then it should impact the way you live. Because to dismiss it is to dismiss God. Let, let me see if I can define what we mean as a biblically driven church in one statement. As a church, we don't adjust the Bible to fit our lives. We adjust our lives to fit the Bible. Does that make sense to you? Let me say it again. We don't adjust the Bible to fit our lives. We adjust our lives to fit the Bible. Truth number one, we need truth. Because if there's no standard of what's right and wrong, well, we're seeing what happens when there's no standard of right and wrong. Truth number two, finding truth is easier than living truth. Isn't that, isn't that true for most of us? Carlos read Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken them to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, he will be like a foolish man who's built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on the house. It fell. Great was its, we said, splat, right? Great was its fall. Jesus said in verse 24, if you hear the word and you do the word, you are what? Wise. He says, if you hear the word and you don't do the word, you are what? Foolish. The brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, James. You realize James, didn't, he was not a believer in the ministry of his brother. Not until the resurrection. The resurrection changed everything for James. Listen to what James says. It sounds a lot like his brother. James chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore lay aside filthiness and overflow of wickedness, receive with meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. The word of God is the power of God to salvation, isn't it? And then James goes on to say, verse 22, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself, goes away, immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks in the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, is not forgetful hearer, 
but a doer of the word or the work, this one, I love that last line, this one will be blessed in what he does. Sounds a lot like Psalm chapter 1, right? Blessed is a man who doesn't do all those other things, but delights in the law. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters, and he will bring forth fruit in a season. He will not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. So, we believe God's word is true, but finding the truth sometimes is easier than living the truth. Here's where it gets a little bit personal. Could, could you boldly say, right now, I'm walking in truth. I'm living the truth. There's no unconfessed sin in my life. You see, without a moral standard, without a moral code, without a compass, without truth, life becomes very chaotic, doesn't it? And when life becomes very chaotic and the storms hit and your, your life is not built on the foundation, Jesus says when, the life's, when, when life's storms hit, if your foundation is not on Christ, the truth of his word, it's not going to go well with you, is it? And the reality is that if the logical conclusion, and we think about all things are subjective, this is what has been termed of moral relativism, the logical conclusion of moral relativism is it's chaos. If a pancake's no longer a pancake, this world's crazy, right? You feel like that sometimes? So the, the reality is we can't argue people to truth. We have to lead people to the truth. We want to lead people to find and follow Jesus. We want to argue people to find and follow Jesus. Truth number one, we need absolute truth. Truth number two, finding truth is easier than living truth. A simple question, are you living truth? The easy answer in that, just to be honest, the church answer is yeah. I'm here at church on Sunday morning, 9.30. 9.30 is early. You guys know that, right? The easiest thing for us to do as church people is to sit through a message like this and say, oh, I wish so-and-so was hearing this. I don't know about you, but it's much easier for me to see your sin than my sin. Is that for you too? All right. So you're judging me right now. That's what you're saying. It's, it's more natural. It's more natural to see other people sin, right? It just is. That's the reality. So I don't, I don't want to just scream by this and, and let you off the hook. Because the easy answer, the easy thing for us to do sitting here this morning is say, yeah, I'm walking in truth. It's all good. Me and God are good. I talked to him last week. All right, number three, I see your stairs. Number three, a biblically driven life moves to action. 
Let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. What, are, what were the two first words? All Scripture. It's given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now below this I have the, the New Living Translation. Just because I, I think for me at least, as a kid, I memorized a lot of these scriptures. Not because I wanted to, but because if I memorized them and said them, I could go out to recess and play. Okay? And I hate to confess it, but many times I cheated on memory, scripture memory, just so I could go out and play, all right? It's my open confession. So sometimes because of the familiarity of the words, I personally don't grasp the power behind the words. And, and maybe that's you. So, all scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is, what's the word? True. And to make us realize what is, whoa, 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 whoa. You mean maybe reading the word of God would reveal to you that you have sin in your life? Is that what that says? All right, just wanted to make sure you catch that. It corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Knowledge for knowledge's sake is kind of meaningless. To know and have a personal, intimate relationship with God and not to share it makes me question whether you really have personal, intimate relationship with God. If, if God working in your life, the reading of his word doesn't move you to action, something's wrong. The, the natural working of God in your life is going to make you look outward. It's going to make you be, if you live a biblically driven life, it's going to lead you to be personally involved, radically generous, and outwardly focused. If the foundation is right, the rest of it will naturally happen. So here's my commitment. I've got two for you today. My commitment to you. My commitment to you as a pastor is to lead this church to be biblically driven. Let me say that in another statement. We will not adjust the Bible to fit our lives, but adjust our lives to fit the Bible. Do you agree with that? Second commitment. This is now, the first one was me as your pastor. The second commitment I make to you as a member of this church. I'm one of you. You're, I'm no better. Trust me, I'm no better than any of you. My commitment, my personal commitment as a member of Hallmark, I will not adjust the Bible to fit my life but adjust my life to fit the Bible. Now it's your turn. I'm going to ask you to make a commitment. I'm going to ask you to commit that you, personally, would live a biblically driven life. And you can't live what you don't know. If you're not in the Word, the Word's not coming out of you. What does that mean? You will not adjust the Bible to fit your life, but adjust your life to fit the Bible. 
So it's commitment time. Some of you are already committed to this, and I want to say thank you. But, but maybe you're like me. Sometimes you need to recommit. You need to be reminded. I've been a little slack in my commitment to know the Word of God, to meditate on day and night. I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes for a moment. Who would say this morning, John, I'm going to raise my hand right now and say, I commit. I'm, I'm, I'm going to commit right now or recommit. I'm going to recommit. I'm going to commit that I'm going to live a biblically driven life. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Maybe that means you're going to get in the word more. Maybe that means the next step. Some of you have, you can put your hand down. Everyone in here has a next step. And so when God reveals that to you, take it. Maybe it's membership. Maybe it's to give regularly. Maybe it's to serve. I don't know. But you raise your hand today. I'm committing to live a biblically driven life. And here's what I want you to do. If you're able, and I know not everyone is able, I want you to get up where you're at and just come down and pray. Just come down and pray and and recommit or make a commitment fresh. God, right now, come on. Just come to the altar. Just make a commitment. Just you, you spend some time alone in prayer. You know, if you can't kneel, just come stand. That's okay. And I'm gonna let you sit there and pray for a moment, and then I'm gonna pray over us. And then we're gonna finish the service singing a wonderful song that Christ is enough for us.